Today, I speak with debut novelist Richard Robbins about his book, Love, Loss, and Lanyap. The book takes our protagonist, Drew, on a beautiful journey physically and metaphorically, and we'll be talking all about that and more coming up. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Ah, yes! For our audio listeners and our video listeners, I'm sure you can hear some classic New Orleans Zydeco playing in the background. Absolutely. Recommended by our very own Richard Robbins, guys, who I will be interviewing today on Book Circle Online. I'm very excited. Richard has written a beautiful and very thoughtful book called Love, Loss, and Lanyap, dealing with pretty heady metaphorical themes that I'll be really excited to talk with you about today. Yes. Richard, thank you for being here. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks We're glad to have you. Guys, my name is Jeff Graham. If this is your first time tuning into Book Circle Online, this is um, the world's online network where we get to interview um, up-and-coming authors, well-established authors, and everyone in between about their work. And I think not enough people are reading today, and not enough people are featuring novelists especially. Thank you. Because it's no small task to write a novel, so I will be very excited to talk with you about that. It's my pleasure. Um, okay, guys, as I mentioned, we were discussing your debut novel called Love, Loss, and Lanyap. For our listeners who might not know that word, that word is spelled L-A-G-N-I- a-P-P-E, and I'm sure you get asked a lot, what is Lanyap? What is Lanyap, or what is a Lanyap, yes. people will ask. Uh, Lanyap is a New Orleans, uh, New Orleans term, uh, loosely meaning a little something extra. Uh, Mark Twain said it best. He visited New Orleans in 1883, and he came across that word uh, on his visit and looked it up, and he described it as uh, the 13th roll in a baker's dozen, mm. like a happy little extra, and that theme and that word specifically uh, appear in the novel a few times. So are you a Twain fan? Uh, yes, I am. Uh, nice. I think uh, there are times when I look to uh, capture certain feelings, and a couple of times I looked that he had described it. And, uh, you know, you, you, you bow to the master. He did yeah. a better job than, than I do. Well, I mean, he, like any writer, you know, it's there's always a development and a journey. And right. if you look at Twain's work, it does evolve a lot. I mean, if you right. look at even Tom Sawyer compared with Huck right. Finn, I like both books, but I think Huck Finn is a little bit of a deeper book than Tom Sawyer is. And libraries are not burning mine. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about Drew. Drew is the protagonist of this novel, and before we went live, you were saying that there are components of your life that you share with the protagonist, Drew, and there are components of your life that you don't share with the protagonist, Drew. And so I'm going to let you speak to if, as ambiguously as you want, okay. sort of what you share with Drew and what you don't share with Drew. Okay. Um, this novel is very much inspired by, by my life, and there are some very significant similarities, and there are some very significant differences. Um, my wife and I met young while we were in school in New Orleans, and together we moved up to New York and raised our children and family. Uh, but early in our marriage, uh, we had three children under age five. Uh, my wife had a very bad brain tumor. And it was uncertain if she was going to make it at the time. And uh, you never get over those feelings, waiting in a uh, neurosurgical waiting room for 10 10 hours for the neurosurgeon to come out and give essentially a thumbs up and and thumbs down. And um, when that happens... Uh, or, or, you know, God forbid it never happens to you or any of you. But when, when that happened to me, my thoughts really centered on how am I going to create and keep a happy home for my children? Mm. How am I going to shield them from what might be, you know, th- this terrible loss? Uh, you know, fortunately, she came through it and has uh, lived a very happy and productive life. 
Um, however, things turn a little differently in the book in certain ways without giving away too much. And there are some decisions that need to be made. And mm-hmm. the character made a bunch of those decisions. Uh, some the right ones, some some maybe the wrong ones. But, uh, you know, it, it's those wrong decisions that give a, uh, a a novel its its tension, its character. Mm-hmm. If everybody made the right choices, you know, don't go in that building, don't date that that girl. Uh, if everybody, you know, didn't make those choices, there would be no, no drama. And so uh, there were people who read the book who knew us, who got mad at me <laughs> for decisions that Drew made, and, and I get that. Uh, but the, the, the beginning of the book... And and the feelings and issues that it raises were very personal, personal, and and that gave me sort of the ability to 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 really pour my heart into the character in a way that people seem to relate to. I'm sure, and I can't wait to talk about some of those themes okay. later in the interview. But sure. what I want to ask you is, I'd have to imagine it's challenging as a writer to guide your protagonists through decisions that are bad ones. As you were just saying, you admire some of the decisions that Drew makes, and you might scoff at some of the decisions right. he's making. So how as a writer, especially when it's pretty close to you personally, do you guide your protagonists through those choices? Uh, that's an interesting question. And, um, you know, there are two aspects to it. You know, one is is the writing process, you know, uh, while while a joy to, to be creative... Uh, was very painful in those mm-hmm. painful scenes and 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 uh to see me in the corner of you know I tended to work in coffee shops I had acquired that habit uh, it's a very New, New York Orleans. writer of you it is it is <laughs> no patches but a beret or no <laughs> well, of course good yeah, good, good. Course. I'm glad of course different one for each week <laughs> uh but uh sitting in the back of a coffee shop you know tears rolling down my eyes and dabbing them and trying to look away mm-hmm. you know while people look over uh, but as far as the wrong decisions, um, you know, it 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 explored and and it speaks to the fears that someone has, uh, you know, when, when they're undergoing you know tension and 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 stress like that. And and even if you uh, think you're going to act a certain way, a you never know how you're going to act, you know, when you're in that circumstance. Mm. When people break, uh, they break in strange and unpredictable ways sometimes, and that can be interesting you know, on the page, and that could be painful in real life. Uh, Also, I I made a very conscious effort to change the identities and and natures of the children in the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the characters of of the the protagonist and his wife are very much recognizable as, as, as my wife and I, but the children are different. I didn't want them reading it and saying, oh, is that me? Is that what he thought of me? So that was sort of my compromise to artistic integrity. But um, yeah, it was hard writing the, the, the tough scenes, and it was hard writing the alternate reality of, mm-hmm. of what it could have been. Uh, but exploring that was, if anything, you know, therapeutic to me. I had a story to tell, and I needed to tell it. Yeah, it sounds like I think the best kinds of stories are able to really lean into empathy, not only for the characters, but the circumstances they're experiencing. And I'm sure even personally, though it sounds like maybe the story of you and your wife played out differently than the story of Mm. Drew and his wife, it's given you empathy for those who do undergo unforeseeable tragedy. Right. And, and, and I explored that, you know, within my own feelings, which were still, you know, 20 some years later, Mm -hmm. uh, very superficial, but, but 
the the sense of loss is universal. I right. mean, you're you're programmed to that at birth. You have parents, and you know the, the odds are they're going to pass some time in your life, and you know they're, they're the ones you expect. Besides the you know the other tragedies, so uh, the the reaction of of both um, you know critics and and readers uh, has been to really relate to to to, to loss to the loss in life and how it was handled. And, uh, you know, that, that's been, you know, encouraging. I'm sure it has. I'd love to talk to you about process. I love speaking with writers okay. about process. When do you feel like, I mean, I'm sure in some ways you've been writing this novel for right. 20 years, right. but I'd sort of like to hear you give us a timeline of maybe when you first put pen to paper and specifically drafts, how you work, et okay. cetera. Um, well, I'm just finishing my the, the second draft of my second book, so now I have enough to uh, uh, to, to sort of speak about the process in, as in more than one book. But um, yeah, this story has been inside me for for a number of years mm-hmm. and uh, been waiting to come out. And then you know, with children and a job and such, uh, you know, I found it hard to really commit to writing. But my youngest son left for college a couple of years ago. And Where'd he, uh, he, uh, he went to RIT, Rochester oh, nice. Institute of Technology. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so he's the youngest. And when he left, even though, you know, he had a driver's license as a senior and, you know, seniors tend to, to be, uh, you know, fairly independent when they're home, even just the one home, it's a uh, responsibility that, 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 that stopped me from, from being able to take on another additional responsibility. So after he left, uh, you know, I found that I had a significant amount of time and I said, you know what, this has been inside me for a long time. I've always liked writing when I was in high school. Uh, I, I wrote a bunch and I had a teacher who was a, um, an excellent teacher and she pulled me aside just before graduation. And she said, you need to be a writer. Wow. You know, I don't say this too much, but you know, you've got, you know, I don't want to say a gift, but you know, you've got the ability, let's say, you know, to do this. And I had, sort of chosen another path, um, you know, more in the sciences. And I always had that in the back of my mind. And um, I dedicated the book in, in, in part to her. And what was interesting was I looked her up. I knew she was a great teacher. And, you know, God bless the teachers who had a lot of good ones in my life. But when I went to look her up, uh, I said, you know, I wonder what, what she's into. Turned out that two or three years later, her name was Barbara Goldman. Uh, she was named National Teacher of the Year. Wow. And then when she retired a few years after that, they named a high school in Dade County after her, wow. the only teacher that they ever named a high school out of. So so in my mind, I was like, oh, I had a pretty good teacher in high school. And I looked it up and, you know, she was royalty. But uh, so, so I decided to write once I had the extra time. Um, the process was, you know, without going too, too in-depth for it, is... is uh, I had the opening scene and the closing scene mm. written. Uh, and then, you know, basically an outline of a story and then more detailed of an outline of a story and then just write uh, and, and write, write, write. It's easier to write more and edit down. Stephen King said, uh, uh, write with the door open and edit with the door closed, meaning mm. write, you know, uh, oh, no, write with the door closed and edit with the door open. So write with the door closed, meaning that, Whatever you put out there, nobody's going to see. You can always edit it down and down and then edit as if everybody's going to see it. So um, it, it flowed out of me and within about six months I had it done. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about this story because, um, again, without giving too much weight for, okay. our, for our listeners, Drew decides to take a journey after this tragedy. And um, what I appreciate is I feel like 
oftentimes in storytelling, a physical journey is really just masking, you know, sort of a personal or metaphorical journey. Do you feel like that's the case here? And if so, could you speak on that a little bit? Uh, Sure, I can. Um, You know, again, it's hard to predict how people will will react to to loss. And and in this case, it was, you know, sort sort of a shock and uh, and, and a sense of of needing space. Um, You know, metaphorically, I think he was on a journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we all are and, you know, still, still am today, although, you know, I've learned a lot over the course of, of, of a life and, uh, and such, but I think he was on a journey and he was on a, a, a physical journey to run away from pain. And he was also on a spiritual journey to find himself and, and to come to peace with his relationship with God, uh, which, again, you'll have to read, and really to, in his own mind, find the meaning of life. And uh, I know it's an ambitious uh, effort, but uh, I actually take a, uh, a very clear-eyed stab at, uh, at giving the scientific basis for the meaning of life in the book. Again, you'll have to read it to find out, but uh, it, it's what's come to me over the course of a lifetime, hmm. and, uh, and I believe he finds that by the end. It's an ambitious first uh, novel. I love it. Yeah, why not start with the meaning of life and go down from there? Work from there. Yeah, right. So if you had like a minute for our listeners to sort of tease what you're exploring in terms of how to scientifically explain the meaning of life to them, I mean, I'd just be curious to hear you. I know you'd prefer probably to have That's people. That's okay. But I'd just be curious to hear you speak on that. Well, the, the, the first law of uh, thermodynamics is um, the, the law of entropy. Mm-hmm. And uh, entropy is a measure of disorder in a state. So the 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 law is that the universe heads uh, in in irreversibly towards a state of of uh, perfect entropy, meaning that an egg can break and or you can scramble an egg, but you can never unscramble it. Things mm-hmm. will become progressively more disordered. Uh, but there is a well-accepted definition of life is that life is the only thing that exhibits negative entropy, Hmm. that life is the only thing that can make order out of disorder. It can take molecules and make you, and then you can take bricks and make a building. Hmm. Um, And so if, if, if you can use physics to explain a definition of life, then you can also use physics to explain, and I do the meaning of life and I'll sort of leave it at that. Mm. It sounds like it's a really beautiful confluence of your interest in science, but also your interest in art. Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Try, that's what I reached for. Um, so any chapters that you'd love to speak on specifically? I know he meets um, Blue mm-hmm. at some point in the novel. I, I was most compelled by her when reading through your right. material. So I'd love to hear you sort of speak on Blue and maybe what inspired her. Okay. Um, well, a few things inspired her. Um, so, so he meets this... Uh, Blue-haired young runaway uh, who calls her she who's renounced her given name uh, when she was expelled from her town for for uh, for being gay uh, with her girlfriend and uh, Drew meets up with her. Uh, she becomes interesting for a few reasons. One is in some ways she becomes a stand-in for his children, hmm. gives him the ability to 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 be nurturing. Um, the other is you know I, I think. You know, I, I have had, you know, very important gay family members mm-hmm. uh, that, that have, you know, raised me and are still very close to me, uh, that if I can take one step in, you know, further 
uh, you know, normalizing is, is the wrong word, but, uh, you know, showing popular gay characters, you know, that, that had meaning to me. Um, and, uh, also her, her, her gayness, uh, was virtually no part of what made her an interesting character. Mm, I love that. Um, you know, there, there are, you know, I love Mitch and Cam, but it's all about them being gay. Right. Yeah. Um, let's have, you know, a, a Mitch and Cam where you have no sense that, that they are. And, and, uh, so blues development, um, is significant in the book, um, for, for a number of ways. And I think pointedly not because of her gayness. I love that. Yeah. I, um, cover a lot of TV and film mm-hmm. here and it's been, the diversity initiatives in TV and film are so important to, to, on one hand, authentically represent the minority experience, mm. but at the same time, it's been refreshing to see actors of color take roles just because right. they're the best person for right. that part. Right. I'm watching an Amazon show called Homecoming right now, okay, starring sure. Julia Roberts, yeah. and there's a moment in the show where there are two black soldiers having a conversation, and at no point is it acknowledged or even addressed that they're both black characters. Right. And I was like, how cool to see you know, just a conversation about something else besides what right. normally would be shoehorned into this narrative. Right. It's the next generation. The first is that they're included. Right. The next is that they're included. Their inclusion is not obligatory. Right. Yeah. I love that. Um, any other sort of chapters of his journey that, especially as a writer, you sort of fell in love with? Um, there are a few, obviously, uh, uh, you know, my love for New Orleans and, and, and New York City uh, are, are important parts of this book. And, mm-hmm. and, and I tried to make each city, you know, specifically a character. So I describe in a fair amount of detail, uh, you know, the wandering through those cities mm-hmm. um, w- without giving too much away. Uh, I like the ending. Yeah, um, I, I do like the ending. I think um, there's layers of meaning in the ending that, that takes some, some thinking about. And, you know, life is not binary and it's not happy. You know, it's not a happy ending and it's not a sad ending. It's, it, it's, it's a realistic ending. And, uh, I, you know, I tried to tie up some of the earlier plot points in the ending without it being uh wizard of Oddish. Oddish. Mm, good. Uh, so, so, you know, I think everything gets tied up, but it gets tied up in a way that that is thoughtful and hopefully realistic. Respectful of entropy as a yes. mechanism for storytelling. I love that. Um, I would. So you mentioned your uncle before we went okay. on air, and how he was a bit of an inspiration for this novel. I'd right. love to hear you speak on that. Okay. Um, you know, you, you asked uh, about you know some creative uh, inspirations, and you know, fortunately, I've had a few. And again, living in New Orleans and New York uh, brings out the creativity in you. Uh, my uh, father's brother was uh, uh, Buddy, uncle, my uncle Buddy, Buddy, Buddy Robbins, and he was a executive with uh, Young and Rubicam in the fifties and sixties and seventies. And uh, my father and brother were very close. In fact, uh, my my uncle Buddy set up my mother and father uh, when when my father was at war. He said, "When you you know, when my brother comes home, you're gonna love him." Oh wow! And he came home, and she loved him, and. Married him, so and you do owe him a lot. I do. He wouldn't be here. I but, do. Yeah. And 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 his whole life, my mother used to say, 
I married the handsome one. I should have married the one with the personality. And my father always took that as a great compliment. He's like, good. oh, I'm the handsome one. It's like, no, you don't understand. I should have married the other one. It's like, you call me handsome. I'm good. Uh, but uh, so so my Uncle Buddy was uh, sort of larger than, than, than Life Man. And he was on the team that uh, created a number of classic ad campaigns, which I, you know, I hope you're old enough to remember, including the Frito Bandito. Okay. Which uh, I've recently looked up, and I don't think you could do that now. Um, and uh, the Tariton 100 cigarettes uh, that, that were too long, and we would, they were extra long, and they would get caught indoors. They were so long. And then the other was, uh, I'd rather fight than switch, and his branding. There would always be pictures of people with, with black eyes. So he was a, a very well-known you know, advertising creative, and he would come and tell stories. And, and you know, even as a child, I used to think to myself, you know, science is science, but there's something, science is unlocking what is already there, whereas creativity is making something that wasn't there before. Mm. And, and they're sort of the opposite ends of the spectrum. And I would like to, and I'm trying to do both. Mm, it sounds like it in this book, especially. Um, so I want to talk about your journey to publication, because okay. we have a lot of listeners who are sort of wondering, how do I get, I mean, this is, you got your first novel published, which is a huge, huge accomplishment yeah, that not you. many people can say, can claim. So I'd love to hear about what that looks like when you have a draft. What's the next step? How do you, who do you find? How do you send out query letters? Okay. Yeah. Um, I wrote, when I wrote the book, um, you know, I wrote it for myself with the idea that, you know, the, the process is, is, is enough. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if I self-published it, uh, I, I'd have been happy. And, and, you know, self-publishing is a very legitimate avenue for, right. for many people. In fact, there are much uh, more, you know, uh, established and renowned writers who, who self-publish, uh, who choose to self-publish. But I, I wanted a publisher. I wanted it uh, for a variety of reasons. I wanted somebody to hold my hand through the process mm-hmm. and, uh, and such. And so, uh, you know, when I wrote it, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I got it as, in as good a format as I could, uh, which once I had an editor, I realized still had room for improvement. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I just, you know, the brute force submitted it. You know, I, I downloaded some lists of, uh, you know, publishers and, you know, they ranged from, uh, you know, the, the, the most prestigious to ones I'd never heard of. And I figured I would start with about a half dozen at a time, get some feedback from them, revise what I needed to revise and go from there. Great. And I got no, 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 maybe. Mm-hmm. And then I got a maybe and the maybe, uh, you know, you send generally, they, they like you to send three chapters. Uh, and the maybe was, I like it. I don't think it's right for me, but I think I know somebody who it is right for. Right. Uh, so then I sent it to them with a, hey, so-and-so told me that you might be interested. They read it, liked it, said, send the whole book. So I sent the whole book and they said, we like it. It fits our uh, publishing style and uh, we're going to go ahead and publish it. So it's probably the timing was perfect because it sounds like versus the first um, sort of manuscript you had, mm-hmm. there had been changes to the point where it's probably ready to be nurtured by a publishing company. Right, right. And, um, you know, it, it's the editing process was interesting because, you know, there's, there's story editing and then there's, you know, line editing. And from the mm-hmm. story editing point, uh, there was very little, there was not very little, but there wasn't a whole lot of, uh, of, of adjusting needed. He wanted me to expand some characters. He wanted me to... Uh, uh, to to make a couple little changes, which was really much, uh, and then the line uh, editing was an interesting process. 
Uh, you know, I wouldn't say that 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 grammar and tense is my forte, uh, but I would. I didn't think I was that bad at it. Is, is, <laughs> you is don't the answer? You write a book, and right? so I would give. A, we'd go chapter by chapter, and I would give a page that I thought was okay. Now this one is ready to go, and it would come back with you know fifty little changes. Wow. You know, every little dot, every little you know apostrophe. And then I learned from that, and I'd send the next chapter, and I'd say, "Okay, well, now I know what he's trying to do." And I would get it back, and there would be thirty, uh, you know, thirty corrections on a page. So, um, you know, rule number one for a writer is get a good editor. I yeah. did, and uh, it's a better book because of it. I'm sure. Yeah, it's funny. I took a grammar class, grammar class in college, okay. and the intricacies of really leaning into proper English grammar. Right. Right. You never know until you study it. Right. So, right. Right. yeah. I'm sure you're a much better writer now, even just logistically, than you were before having gotten through it. I'm sure there'll still be 30 uh, corrections a page. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. You have another novel that you're working on right now. Um, do you feel like the process has been easier now that you've written one or harder because you've already told the story you've been working on sort of in your head for so long? You know, I think both. Um, and, and and in one hand, uh, so so I just finished the second draft of uh, of my new book. It's called Panicles. Mm-hmm. And uh, a panicle is a type of flowering plant where all the branches come off the main stem. And to me, uh, that that was a uh, uh, a good sort of approximation of what a family is like. Mm. and And I'll get into the specifics of that. But you know the 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 first book uh, was very easy to to find the the pathos inside. Mm. You know, I just had to you know let it out. I, I lived it. Um, the the next book is more complicated. It's longer. It's a more complicated story. It's the intersecting fate of two families, uh, one wealthy and powerful, and one more blue collar. And it follows them over the course of a generation, and they're intermingling. And there's love, and there's death, and there's war, and there's political intrigue, and a very interesting, you know, ending that that I think uh, people will like. And it explores a very specific question, uh, which, which is timely now, and that is the price of fame versus the pleasure of living a simpler, more grounded life. Mm. And And what I mean by that is... Um, for example, uh, let's say Brett Kavanaugh, mm-hmm. bring him to mind, love him or hate him, uh, which seems to be the only choices yeah. in politics these days. But regardless of your personal feelings about him, uh, he was a successful lawyer, became a successful judge who was nominated and then ascended to really the greatest honor that an attorney can achieve. Wonderful for him. My question and what the question of, of Panicles addresses in a number of very uh, heartfelt ways is, yes, he has achieved this. But, but my question you know, to you and to me and, and existentially is, is he happier? Mm-hmm. Will he be happier over the next 30 or 40 years? Will his family be happier now that he is Supreme Court judge, having gone through what he's gone through, uh, you know, legitimately or, or not, um, and, and knowing that wherever they go, half the people in the restaurant at the school hate him and, and half love him. Right. Or would his family have lived a happier life had he stayed in the D.C. Court of Appeals? And so, you know, fame has a price. And it's something that, that as an individual we need to think about. And I think as a society we need to think about. Yeah, it's so interesting to think, like, if he really had the opportunity to go back and undo the nomination process, I wonder if he would, you know? Well, that's that's the question, and you know, listen. There are people who are driven towards 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 you know achievement and excellence, 
Um, and society needs those. Society needs, you know, the dreamers and the narcissists and the risk takers. Mm -hmm. You know, they become leaders. They move us forward. They're the Steve Jobs of this world. And if we want iPhones, we need them. Right. But as Steve Jobs, you know, was he happier? Did he leave a, live a happier life than, than the manager of the, uh, of the Apple store in the mm -hmm. mall? You know, that's debatable, you know? Well, there's sort of that dichotomy where it's like, the people who have those wild, wild ambitions to mm -hmm. succeed, sometimes those are not always the best candidates for those positions. Because right. I think to possess those, some, you could argue, narcissistic desires might actually compromise your ability to lead well. Elon Musk. Yeah. It's, it's so, <laughs> did you see um, the Aaron Sorkin, Steve Jobs film? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That, Impressive. I loved it. It was so theatrical. And mm -hmm. say, I mean, Aaron Sorkin is one of the best. But, right, right, right. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, that movie, I think, really interestingly explored the costs of ascension. And it sounds like that's right. sort of what you're And that's what Fanicles does. And, and you know, th there's, there's a flip, you know, of the coin question that, that's not identical but related. And that's the responsibility, if you, you know, mm -hmm. to society if you have a gift. Right. And so, you know, if you are an artist or, or, or an athlete uh, uh, who, who has really, you know, unique and special talent – or, or um, a leader who, who, you know, in his heart believes that he can move society forward, you know, what is your responsibility to society? You know, that's an interesting question, too, but that's a different one. And there are very few of those, by definition, you know, there, there are few of, of, of the elite. Mm. Uh, but for the, the, the next level, for, for people, you know, the Brett Kavanaugh's of this world, the, the, you know, price has, uh, you know, fame has a price. Right. And um, that's something that, that needs to be considered and is considered in, in Panicles. Well, we'll have to bring you back when that gets published. Do you have a timeline a, on that? Or? Uh, probably spring, spring okay. 2019. Awesome. Going back to Love, Loss, and Land Yap, what do you hope readers really take away? If you could, if you could leave them with one sentiment, what would that be? Um, yeah, the redemptive power of love. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, I... I The, you know, there are six or seven billion people on this earth mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and five billion, nine hundred ninety nine million, nine hundred ninety nine thousand really you could give a damn if you live or die. <laughs> it's true. And there are a dozen, a hundred, a thousand, depending on your life of people who care about you mm -hmm. in this world. And they, they range from, from your, your family to, to your friends, to your next generation of friends and even neighbors and community, uh, you know, people in the community. And, and so, you know, in this, you know, sea of loneliness, there is a small, you know, this vast sea of loneliness. There is a small island of, of, of love and care of mm. people like that. And, and I think it's very, very important to maintain those relationships, to nurture them, and to appreciate them on an everyday basis. And to, you know, you're, you're, you're alone in this world except for that. You know, you have to nurture that. It's really beautifully said. It's interesting. I work in media, and obviously mm -hmm. we've seen the world of how people interact just ch change so dramatically in the last 10, 15 years. Right. We talk about the sea of loneliness. I look at the fact that, you know, you might have a thousand Instagram followers, but again, it's such a, to me, an artificial form of support. Right. And it sounds like this book is kind of interested in trying to dig into, like, who are those, what are those real connections that are actually going to provide you with some kind of peace and right. joy? 
Right, and and those connections are the ones that literally saves his and his family's lives. Wow, and he a, counted on that. Wow. Well, with that, you guys, it sounds like you have to read this book. This is, of course, Love, Lost, and Lady App, written by the very kind and very, very smart Richard Robbins. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Richard, if people want to pick up this book, what's the best way for them to do that? Probably best on, on Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com. Um, Barnes & Noble. That's, <laughs> that must feel good to say. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Great. So Amazon or Barnes and Noble, guys. I'm sure there's an ebook edition as well. Yes, and, and Kindle and Moby, and it's in every format. And the um, uh, uh, book on tape the will come book. out. I got soon. you. Audio book. I was. I thought you might be going that. Yeah, I was. The audio book uh, will come out. Soon. I think we had a telekinetic moment there. You there. Go. Are you going to be reading the audio book or? Uh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> that will be surreal for you to hear really? your book read by someone else. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And and um, uh, it, it's hard. To I've been listening and, and sort of we've been auditioning, uh, you know, voice actors for that. And uh, when you see a character in your own image, nobody works like that. I'm in sure. fact, when we chose the cover, the, the the girl on the cover looks very much like my wife. Wow! And uh, the man on the cover looks nothing like me. He looks <laughs> like Ryan. So so you know, people my my uh, son's friends looked at it and said, "Why is there a picture of your mom and some guy on the cover?" <laughs> and so. Uh, so it's hard to relate, but yes. Nice. Well, it's, that must be interesting for you to sort of put on your director's hat and have to cast whoever's going to be reading your mm-hmm. book. So I wish you luck in okay. that. And um, can't wait for Panicles. It sounds okay. really wonderful. Good. And how many books do you think you have in you? I mean, at this pace, you're going to write about 30, huh? You know, I, I would like one a year. Um, Great. You know, and so I don't know if it's going to become easier or harder, mm-hmm. you know, over the time. Um, you know, my... my you know, I have a story to tell and I'd like it to be heard. Uh, and I did in that one and, and I do in, in Panicles and I think I have more, um, you know, commercially, you know, I'd like as many people to, to read it as you can. Right. But, but to me, it's more a matter of the process and, and engaging with those who, who, who do read it. It's a, it's a cruel world out there. And, uh, if, if, if this or these books, you know, bring one moment of joy and pleasure, to, to one person or, or has one person see the world in a different way, which helps them, then I've accomplished my goal. And it seems like, like that's happened already. Well, that's beautifully said, Richard. And I can't thank you enough for being okay, here today. Thank this you. It's really, really been fun. my pleasure. Absolutely. Guys, of course, today I talked with Richard Robbins, Richard Robbins about his debut novel, Love, Lost, and Land. Yep, you can pick that up on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble, and soon the audiobook. You got it. Guys, my name is Jeff Graham. If you want to see more of what I'm doing at the network here, you can. On Wednesdays at 5 p.m., I tape a weekly TV pilot review series where we review a new pilot each week. We will not be here this Wednesday because it is the eve of Thanksgiving, which I'm Good. looking forward to. Um, but you can also catch me on Fridays. We're on hiatus right now, but I'm interviewing more writers. I host a weekly table read series where we bring in award-winning pilot and feature scripts, read them with a group of actors, and then interview their writers. So that's Fridays. That's the unproduced table read. We'll be back very soon, at least in the new year. So check that out. Richard, where can people connect with you if they'd like to tell you how much they love Drew's journey in this novel? Uh, you can go to my website, uh, robinsbooks.com. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. I'm easy to find on Facebook. And on Twitter at um, uh, hashtag rrobinsbooks. Perfect. Well, guys, we appreciate you tuning in. We'll see you next time here at Book Circle Online. Thanks. From executive producers Kevin Undergaro, Maria Menounos, and Jeffrey Masters, thanks for tuning in to Book Circle Online. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment. To suggest a book title or their author, you can tweet us at Book Circle On. This is Book Circle Online. Thanks for tuning in.
The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of its owners or principals.